0: If you have your Bibles, I want you to take them to Luke's Gospel, chapter number 15. Last week, we started a little series that we're going to be doing and walking through this chapter and calling it, God's Lost and Found. Lost and Found is our series. And uh, and so, uh, on Thursday, uh, we went to, me and Carrie, Carrie, we wanted to take Carrie for her birthday to a Braves baseball game. We was all excited about it, took all of our all of our rain gear. It was a little drizzly, but I thought we could still watch the game. We got there all seated in Truist Park, ready to watch Freddie Freeman knock a home run or a foul ball where I'd catch it. Brought my glove and everything. I was ready to catch a foul ball, and uh, they canceled the game. And so uh, we packed up all of our stuff and, you know, just had to leave really just distraught over not being able to see the game. And this morning, we're heading out to the car, and uh Gary's like, where's where's the big umbrella that we got it, you know, that has the raindrops on it? And I instantly, "Ah," I know exactly where it is. It's at the Lost and Found at Truist Park in Atlanta. I left it there. I can see it now in some kind of box in a room filled with all kinds of left behind lost things. Well... If any, if this chapter begin, can be called anything, it can be called God's Lost and Found, because Jesus is looking at lost people, at the lost condition, and showing that to the scribes and Pharisees that murmured about Jesus receiving sinners. And so, last week we looked at the first parable Jesus gave, in which we had a sheep that was lost. You remember that last week, and how. Uh, that that shepherd left the ninety and nine uh, to go find that one lost sheep. That one sheep that had wandered astray and he put it on his strong shoulders and was able to carry it all the way back to the fold. And that is Jesus able to carry us, to not only seek us, find us, but can carry us through this life. Well, today we're going to look at the silver that was lost. The silver that was lost. Look with me in Luke chapter 15, and we'll pick up reading again at verse number 8. And so Jesus is given a second parable here, and He's continuing, and He says in verse 8, Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house, and seek diligently till she find it? And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Jesus now makes the application. Likewise, I say unto you, There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. You know, I don't think there is anything more frustrating than losing something that is small, small in size, difficult to see with the naked eye. You know, most of the time, we don't spend a lot of time searching for extremely small things. You know, if you if you lose, uh, I mean, just all you guys are in the shop, if you have a, a pile of washers there and you're putting something together and you, you knock a washer off the floor and it goes through the boards in the shed, well, you don't take all day to crawl in. They got a whole pile of washers there to begin with. Most time, things that are small, we don't spend a lot of time uh, looking for because they're easily replaceable. Except if that thing, small thing that is lost is valuable, then it's a different story. I've spent evenings on the ground with my eye looking over the top of the carpet and my hand feeling across of it looking for a diamond earring or, or a screw from something that... I, it's not replaceable. If I'm taking apart something, and, which is usually the case, trying to fix something, and I drop that little tiny screw, oh my goodness. I, there's, it's almost impossible to find. And so, But it depends on how valuable the thing is. I remember years ago... Carrie had lost, she had a, a, a diamond ring for our wedding, a wedding ring. I gave her engagement ring. It was like a solitaire, and then she had a thing that went around it, had all these little diamonds in it. Well, one of the diamonds fell out of that, of that wedding ring, and it was a little bitty diamond. It was, you know, I mean, it was expensive. It's a diamond. And so we looked everywhere. I mean, all over the place. We looked in the bedroom, the bathroom, the kitchen, you know, just, I mean, and once we'd almost given up hope. Carrie got in the car one day going to work and some, some kind of glint caught her eye and sure enough down in the floorboard next to the door was that little tiny diamond that they put back into that setting. And so the, the extent of the search that we give for something small has to do with the value of the item. Likewise in Romans 15, I mean Luke 15, Jesus is responding to the accusation that he received sinners, that he kept company with those that were irreligious or didn't care anything about the Mosaic law. These people would could have been any 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 number of things from those that were drunkards to prostitutes to the divorced to the uh uh to publicans, those of a shady business dealings, Uh, they were attracted to Jesus and he found himself oftentimes surrounded by these types. And the the, the scribes and Pharisees accused him of, of being suspect because he crowded himself around with these people. But Jesus tells these parables in Luke 15 to tell them that their perspective is wrong. That when they look at these people that are surrounding Jesus... They do not see them as God sees them. Oh, how important. Oh, how important this chapter is because what it does is shows us the heart of God for the lost sinner. You know, oftentimes it's easy to do when we see this world in such deep-seated sin, in such wicked and foul uh, uh, ways of life or means in which they conduct their life we can become aghast, we can want to look upon them with uh, disdain and down our noses and we could know, easily find ourselves in the same seat as the scribes and Pharisees and not intending to be so. But here, it's good for us to see this because it shows us God's heart for those people, the people that may well be outside of this church. How should we feel about those that would disdain, that would blaspheme, that would hate God. How should we feel about them? Well, Jesus is showing us in this parable. You see, God sees these people as important where the scribes and Pharisees see them as irrelevant. God sees them with love instead of loathing them. God seeks for such individuals instead of shunning those individuals. That's what we learn here. Now, the one thing that you'll notice, <coughs> excuse me, the one thing you'll notice uh, about these parables is who is in focus. Now, remember the first parable we looked at last week? The focus there was on the sheep and its relationship to the shepherd, right? The shepherd sought the sheep. All through the New Testament, we found that Jesus, both in the Gospels, And the epistles. Jesus said it about himself. He is the good shepherd. Peter said he's the great shepherd. He is the shepherd of all shepherds. He is the Lord Jesus. We could easily say that the first parable gives a depiction of Jesus, the great shepherd. The last parable, the third parable in this chapter, we're going to spend three weeks in, looks at a father who loves both sons and is not in right relationship with either one, and goes to great lengths to reach that son. A father who loves a child, this has to be a picture of the fa- God the Father. Wouldn't you agree? That God the Father is one that loves and goes out of His way to be reconciled to lost sons and lost daughters. So what could we say about the middle the middle parable, I think it's easily seen. If the first one has to do with God the Son, and the last one has to do with God the Father, what do you think the middle one has to do with? God the Holy Spirit. We do believe in a Trinitarian God. Not three gods, but one God manifest in three persons. I'm not a modalist. When, When Jesus was baptized, when Jesus was baptized by John the... Uh, John the Revelator, God wasn't a ventriloquist <laughs> talking to, talking out the side of his mouth to himself below and, 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 and being a, a magician making the, uh, come, then coming down as the Holy Spirit as a dove. Of, no, 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 no. There is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three separate entities, equal in power and yet one in motivation and in person. That's the best I can do on a large subject in a half a minute, All right. So, we believe in a trinity. And so when we come to this second parable, I believe it is a display of the Holy Spirit. Now, you know we're living in the time of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, the, the kickoff of many, I believe in many regards, the kickoff of the New Testament church had to do with the what? the coming down of the holy spirit of god don't you remember jesus told his disciples i will not leave you comfortless but i will send another comforter and he will direct you to me he will speak unto you the words that i would speak unto you we jesus came died buried risen ascended to the father where he intercedes on our behalf and now jesus and now jesus is gone into the heavens and in his place he has sent the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ to walk with every single one. You know, you're in a blessed place right now. In the economy of God, we're in a blessed place because you know what? When Je- you know, we all say, oh boy, I wish I could have walked with Jesus. I wish I could have sat at the campfire and listened to Jesus teach. I wish I could have been with him as he went into Jerusalem. I, I wish I could have been around the physical presence of Jesus. I'm going to tell you what. Far better today than then because why? Jesus was in one physical part. He could only be in one place at a time. But now at, by His Spirit, He's with you and you and you and you and you. He's with us all. But note that Cleo and claim Jesus Christ, He resides with us. He walk, Do you know that you have the person of Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God walking with you every day? And it is no less different than these disciples walking with Jesus. I submit to you, there's nothing that teaches anything different in the New Testament than that right there. Jesus walks with you every day by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so I believe that this woman here is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Now, don't get me wrong. This woman is not a symbol of the Holy Spirit. It's a picture, not a symbol. The Holy Spirit is... In nowhere in the New Testament do we find the Holy Spirit addressed as a woman or as a female role. Now, there is a book out there right now. It was popular many years ago, but it still has heretical teachings in it called "The Shack." Have you ever heard of the Shack? Shack?" Uh, uh, Oprah really talked about, did a lot about the Shack. The Shack is a story that helps a, about a man who deals with the loss of a child. By going out to this shack where there's these three people living in that shack. And these people are God the Father who is represented as an African American woman who calls herself Eloisa or Papa. Jesus Christ is a Middle Eastern carpenter. And then the Holy Spirit manifests itself as an Asian woman named Sarah Yu. Now listen to me. There is no place in the New Testament where God the Father or or the Holy Spirit are addressed in the feminine terms. The Holy Spirit nor the Father are are as as addressed as female. Now these these are spirits. Uh, God is spirit. Remember that Jesus is playing about God the Father. He is spirit. Good night, I'm getting deeper into something I didn't want to get into. Uh, God is spirit. That means that its gender is Irrelevant. You know, we make so much about gender nowadays. I I mean, everywhere you turn, it's about gender. And everybody's kind of wanting to change the Bible to more genderless this and that. Listen, God is addressed as a male, as a father, but not necessarily genetically or biologically. He's not biologically. He is spirit. But He's addressed as father. Same is true with the person of the Holy Spirit. This parable pictures for us how that God the Holy Spirit seeks and saves sinners. That's it. It doesn't say anything about the gender of the Holy Spirit. There are other parables in which I believe the Spirit of God is is talked about and addressed. And it's not in the feminine tone. So we know that the Spirit of God is addressed in a male tone, but it's not biology. It's it's more of leadership, headship. But regardless of that, the lesson here is how the Holy Spirit seeks and saves lost sinner. Get that picture. Everything else is in this incidental, the parable, the thing laid beside the truth is that God the Holy Spirit seeks out sinners. And, and there's such there's such teaching in this that we are to embrace. So here's the thing: Are you here today and lost? Are you lost? Do you not know the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, I want you to know that the Spirit of God is seeking and drawing you to Himself. You have you have you become? Listen, and the question for most of us: Have we become Pharisees and scribes and become? Indifferent to those in a lost condition? Hey, you shouldn't be like that. Jesus is contradicting that teaching, and He is telling us the heart which we should have toward lost sinners. In this picture, in this parable, God gives us a picture of His heart for the lost sinner. Now, in order to break, our, in order to break our hearts over their condition, so I want you to see this. Uh, First of all, I want you to see this by three aspects of this parable, and then we'll be done. Three aspects of the parable. Number one, I want you to see the meaningful silver. Look in verse number eight. Either, Jesus is giving another example. What woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle? Now notice that he is referencing silver. In this parable, it's critically important to hear it through first century ears. Now, that's difficult. We are 20, century, more than, more than, yeah, 20 centuries removed from this time period. So we need to hear with ears of the first century what Jesus is teaching here. You see, what Jesus intended for His hearers to understand... In the first century, is what Jesus intends for us to hear in the 20th century. Now that may sound, yeah, duh, but the reality is oftentimes we are so separated from the way of life, the manners and customs of the day, that we lose certain amount of the truth in the distance of time. So what we have to do is go back to try to understand what Jesus was saying to those people so we can understand it today. And in doing so, we can uncover rich and powerful meaning of this parable. So the first thing we need to see is the woman's concern. Why is this woman so concerned? Notice that she had ten pieces of silver and she lost one piece of silver. She had ten, but she lost one. Now, In the first parable, what was it? It was a hundred sheep and lost one that left 99. Now, if your math, put that into percentages, that's 1%, right? Not a lot. Uh, 1% is an acceptable loss, very acceptable loss in the business world, 1% loss. But in this parable, that loss is heightened. It's greater. So instead of 1%, 1 out of 100, now it is 1 out of 10. That's more. That is not 1%, that is 10%. One-tenth of the value has been lost. Jesus is putting an emphasis, even greater emphasis in the next one. When instead of 1 out of 100, no, 1 out of 10, no, 1 out of 2 in the last parable... That's a 50% loss. That's when, in a business world, that's when you put on the brakes and you reevaluate. You know, you you, you just can't have a 50% loss. Jesus is showing more and more and more the greater value of the lost sinner. Of these publicans and prostitutes that surrounded Jesus, he is saying, look at the importance 1%, 10%%. Half the value, astounding value Jesus is giving to them. So this woman here, she loses a silver. Now that silver would be known as a drachma in her day and time. A drachma, a silver piece. Now, we might not consider that an acceptable loss. You think about ten pieces of silver in your pocket, you know. Uh, maybe ten, what about, what about ten 10 nickels. What is that? 50 cents. You got 50 cents in your pocket and you lose a nickel. You have 45 cents. Is that right? Did I do my math right? Is 50 cents over there? 50 cents in your pocket. You lose one nickel. You got nine nickels left. You got 45 cents. Hey, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that much of a loss. One piece of silver compared to others. So uh, it's not necessarily that big of a loss. You still got nine coins, but... In that day and time, it was a significant loss, even if we said it was dimes. Even if it said you had 90 cents as opposed to a dollar, that's still not much. I mean, a dime's almost getting to where you don't even reach out. You know, a penny, oh good, night. ten years ago I stopped picking up pennies on the ground. Uh, now you might not even, you might just passed up a dime laying on the ground. It's so, it's so small amount of value, but that's not the case with this woman. Silver coins and money was extremely valuable, extremely important in that day and time. These were people that lived right on the cusp of starvation, of financial disaster, and losing something of such value was very critical and important. Money was scarce. It was on the edge of disaster. Uh, One drachma was... here's Here's the way to put it in perspective. One drachma in that day was the equivalent of one day's wage for that day and time. So what is that to you? Think about it. where you work, how much money you make, kind of break it down. Maybe you get paid every two weeks, you know, cut it in half and then cut it into five working days. That's, that's, a, pretty, that's a pretty, I mean, good chunk of change. You know, you, you don't want to lose one day of work Completely. That's the value that we can place on this. And so, so it would be a financial disaster to lose something like that uh, from this woman. Also, this coin had a very special meaning for this woman, this this bride, this wife here. In those days and times, married women wore silver coins as a headdress or as a necklace almost like a wedding ring. Here's how it worked. This is so beautiful. This is so beautiful. The groom-to-be was charged with paying a bride price for the bride. The father would be out whatever labor or, or, or duties that that daughter would bring into the household. And so by virtue, remember how that Jacob, he spent ten years... And he got Leah. He spent another 10 years to get Rachel. That was that bride price that was agreed upon. And so oftentimes the bride price would be agreed upon and that, that, uh, that groom-to-be would pay the bride price, whatever amount it was. The father then would take either all or some of that bride price and make it a dowry. I found it interesting this morning. I was looking it up how that a dowry is something that the father gives expressly to the daughter, whether it be money or land or some other financial means, given to the daughter to care for her and the children in case something happened to the husband. Let's say he walked away. Let's say he died prematurely. This dowry would be given to the daughter or the wife-to-be so that she would have some amount of security. And what she would do is take that dowry, or at least 10 pieces of that silver, and she would make a headdress of those coins and put them on her head. And so everywhere she went, you know, listen, things of value, one of the protections, remember we preached a message not too long ago, where they buried their valuable possessions. One of the things in order to maintain and keep theft away from their valuable possessions was to wear them. They would have gaudy gold rings made so they were always on their body. Well, the same was true with this dowry. She had it on her head, she had it around her neck, and she would always have it with her. Well, this dowry would be worn, the silver corns would be worn as as almost like a wedding ring, something that symbolizes her, her state of being wed to her husband. Now, if a coin Was taken off, it had a symbolic meaning to the community that she had been unfaithful. Let's say that she had had a moment of unfaithfulness toward her husband, her husband as punishment outside of uh, 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 putting off divorce, outside of that, he would pluck one of those coins from her dowry that she would have constantly publicly worn on her head and everybody looking at her would know something's not right. She has been unfaithful. I mean, it would be so obvious, like a missing tooth. You know, you smile, and the tooth is gone. It would be obvious to everyone looking that something was not exactly right. It had a special meaning. You can understand her concern with finding this one coin. It had significant personal commemorative value I remember years ago Carrie and I we made a move from one house to another and in doing that like a knucklehead I put her jewelry box in a storage shed here in Trent. it's almost like a big sign the whole community calls each other I think around that storage hey they got nice stuff I saw them put a jewelry box in there like what a day or two later that 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 jewelry box was completely stolen. It had my class ring, had all of her her jewelry, her grandmother's jewelry, had great sentimental value, heart-aching, heart-rending value, irreplaceable value. That's what this coin meant to this woman. We're told, uh, yeah, uh, it had had a great... Value to this woman. So what is Jesus telling to us? What is He telling us about lost sinners? That they are precious. Precious to Him. Precious, valuable to Him. And don't we live in a day and time when human life is completely devalued? where human trafficking has gotten to epidemic proportions and every one of us keeps close eyes on our children wherever we are because of the the abductions that take place and the trafficking of children? What about millions and millions of babies that are destroyed in what should be the safest place in the world? A woman's womb. Human life is devalued in the day. Even, Even euthanasia. Euthanasia is seriously being considered in this country. It's already legal in Switzerland, in Denmark, and places like that to kill the elderly and the infirmed and, the, and those that are mentally slow. It's already set even children that have suicidal thoughts are encouraged to follow through with that. They're given license from the government. If this 8-year-old kid says they want to die and kill themselves, you have no right to keep them from doing it. it is a, we live in a world where human life is so devalued. And Jesus has given us the preciousness, the beauty, the wonder, the, the love that God has for sinners. We see the importance God places on the lost, the concern For this woman over the silver is the concern of God over every sinner. Not only the woman's concern, but the worth of the coin. Notice also this coin. If this coin is lost, then it's out of circulation. This coin was meant to be spent. It had the mark. It had been been pressed and cut. And forged and emblemized by the ruling class, by some Roman signet. It had the image of Caesar on it. It had the image of importance on it. And if it's taken out of circulation, I mean, what good is a coin if it's lost in the ground? It can't be spent. It can't be used for its purpose. It was, it was purposed to be circulated. <laughs> in the uh, year, certain years of the, I think it was the Commonwealth of England. Good night, they're going to kill me not knowing the history. But there was a, there was a period of, in English history where Oliver Cromwell was, had a different kind of government set up. Very brief time in English history and they were very low on coinage, and uh, and someone said uh, we don't have we don't have gold to make any more coinage, and the only thing we have is some statues of the of these apostles, these saints from old. We can melt those down and make coin. Maybe we could and uh, and Oliver Cromwell said, so melt the saints down and put them in circulation. Hey that's what we're supposed to be as the saints of God as the people of Jesus Christ in circulation bearing the image of our heavenly father but this coin it bears the image what do are we what are, aren't we don't we aren't we created in the image of God don't we bear the imago dei uh, the, the image of God upon us a lost sinner has that image but when it's lost it's out of circulation it's not fulfilling it's God-given purpose and intent that God had for it. That's exactly what's being, what's being talked here. The worth of this coin. It's out of circulation. It's, it's got this, the sinner has the image of God upon it, and yet it's not fulfilling its purpose. Romans 3.12, They are all gone out of the way. They are altogether unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. That's where a sinner... A sinner is out of circulation. They're not fulfilling the purpose. They're of no profit, no value. The teen suicide rate is on a a constant climb. We've seen that in our own county. Young people meander through life void of meaning with no purpose, no reason to exist. And the worst thing is, like this coin, they're oblivious to the fact that they're lost. Listen, they are not fulfilling their purpose. American artist James Whistler. Do you remember the painting by Whistler's mother? You ever heard of Whistler's mother? It's this formal grandmother looking like this, and she's in a rocking chair, and there's a window and a table. Whistler's mother. You ever seen Whistler's mother? Never. Uh, anyway, uh, it, it's a famous painting, Whistler's mother. He's an American artist. And one time, uh, James Whistler uh, wasn't known for his modesty or his humility, and he had a Uh, a shipment of blank canvases that were mailed to him that were lost in shipment. And somebody came to to him and said, well, did these canvases have any value? And he said, well, not yet. I haven't painted on them yet. They weren't of any value until I put my painting on it. Hey, every lost sinner is a blank canvas for the God's miracle of grace to make a masterpiece of their life. Hasn't he done that with you? Hasn't he done a masterpiece of God's grace Upon your life? The blank canvas of your life? This is what is represented in this missing silver. Now I want you to see the meticulous search. The meticulous search. Look at verse number 8. Woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. I can see this woman. She's going through her daily chores, you know, and she's, Maybe she got a bucket of water from the well and and she got the jar and she pours pours it out into a bucket and she's looking over it and all of a sudden she sees a reflection and she's missing a piece of silver from her headdress. Or maybe she's cleaning a mirror in the home, a polished piece of metal, and all of a sudden in its corrupted view, she notices that a piece of silver is missing from her headdress. Uh, and all of a sudden, she's in a frenzy. She's got to find that piece of silver. It was there this morning when she put it on. Where could it be? And she goes into a flurry of activity in order to try to find this lost coin. Notice, first of all, she began with a demanding search. A demanding search. Notice that the first thing she does is light a candle. Houses in those days were constructed with very... Menial material, they were constructed basically of clay. There are passages in the Scripture that talk about when much rain falls, how that walls would swell and crumble over the weight of the house. Houses were very unsafe. And so, to put it, I don't know if you know this or not, but architecturally, a window is a weak point in a construction. It's always a weak point in construction. So these houses that are really prone to having failures anyway... Many of them didn't have windows. There were very dark places, and so this woman, she's uh, she finds herself looking for this in a dark place. Might I remind you that this world is a dark place? John three nineteen, and this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. In 2 Corinthians. Chapter number four, Paul says that if our gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost, and whom the God of this world hath blinded the mind of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should enter in. This world is a dark place. Darkened, lost sinners are darkened without Jesus Christ. They live an empty, purposeless life and go into a great and go into great perhaps in death. How in the wor- How dark is a sin of uh, and shame-filled world can be? The guilt that is carried with no hope of forgiveness. Also, houses of that day were primarily built out of clay. Can you imagine, wives, ladies? Can you imagine if your walls were made of clay? It's bad enough that little Tom and Billy dragging every kind of of dirt and muck from outside into the house. But can you imagine if your walls were made of dirt? Constantly. It would be constantly filled with dust and dirt and debris all over that house. Making it a constantly dirty place. And for that coin to be lost would be to be lost down in the dirt, in the filth. It is a picture of what it means to be lost in our day and time. To be lost in the dirt of sin. Job 15, 16. How much more abominable and filthy is man, which drinketh iniquity like water. Oh, what a description of the life of a lost sinner. How filthy. Dirty man can become from his cesspool of a mouth to his sexual depravity. There seems to be no end to which a man will seek in order to fulfill his depraved lust of his heart. Pro- pro- profanity is commonplace, pornography is plastered everywhere, promiscuity is pervasive, and pedophilia is ever growing, and on and on and on. The transgender issue, homosexuality, all of the blights of sin upon this world. and Man is living in dirt and filth. They may live in the cleanest house in Chattanooga, but before the eyes of a holy God, they're no more than a lost coin in the dirt and filth of this world. The Bible says the imaginations of their hearts are evil continually. But where do we see this woman? Now listen to me. Where do we find this woman? (laughs) Down in the dirt, wiping away with a candle, looking everywhere in the filth, in the dirt, for the lost coin. No matter how dirty, no matter how filthy, no matter how, how, how gross and grotesque the ground is, she's there in the middle of it. The Holy Spirit of God is not scared to jump right in the middle of a sinner's life. And thank God it says, look at verse number number eight again, "And she seek diligent till she find it <laughs> till she find it. Listen, this it will be. There's no way around it. This will be a successful search. Amen. God will find the lost sinner. God will find them. This was a determined search, and God is up to the challenge. Notice not only a demanding search, but a diligent search. This woman, she pulls out all the stops. The only natural light that would be emitted into a house of this time, barring the slight chance there might be a window, is a door. Usually they would put maybe something over the door to keep flies out, to keep... It'll try to keep a lot of filth out. So I can imagine this woman, she needs all the light she can get. Maybe she rolls that up. She lets as much light in the doorway as possible. What does the Bible say? And I, I, know, I'm, I know I'm reaching now, but listen, what does the Bible say? Jesus, Jesus himself said to himself, I am the door. If any man enter in, he shall go out and find pasture." Jesus is the great door. And so, She opens that door, lets as much light in as she can, and then she's got that candle, and she's searching out the corners everywhere, looking for that glint of silver, wherever she can find it. What do we know the light is? The light is God's Word, used by the Holy Spirit to search the hearts of lost sinners, to seek and to save that which is lost. Here she is, is, this Holy Spirit going out and, and bringing the light of God's Word into that, into that dark place. You and I are the same thing. Jesus said, So let your light so shine among men, they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We're to be the light of the world. We're to bring the light of the world with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God into the lost sinner's life. Then she gets out. Then look at our verse. It says that she lights a candle and then what? She sweeps the house. Oh, she's bringing out the artillery. She gets some maybe some kind of straw wisp broom and she starts going through the house and she starts sweeping. You know she's got all. I can imagine she's got all the furniture off the floor. She's checked every table. She's checked every every everywhere she can. So she's everything off the floor and she starts sweeping throughout the house. She's disturbing everything. Stirring everything up. I can imagine she swept here and swept there. The next room sweeping and sweeping. The house is filled with dust. And she's trying to see. She moved everything out of its place. I mean, I can imagine this little hovel just turned upside down looking for this coin. You know what? That's a good picture of what the Holy Spirit can do in the life of a lost sinner. The Holy Spirit is not on the illuminator He's the instigator. He can stir things up in people's lives. The Holy Spirit is not only the illuminator, but the instigator. He can stir up things. The Holy Spirit is working in places you never imagined. The Holy Spirit can work in your family, down at the job, down at the school. It's stirring and sweeping to find the lost. You know, I, I, you, I, one of my favorite preachers, Buster Seaton. his brother Jimbo was lost. He's ball in high weeds and... Brother Buster would talk to him all the time about, about getting right with God, and Jimbo didn't want to hear anything of it. And finally, Buster said told Jimbo, he said, "I'm going to do a lot, talk, a lot less talking to you about the Lord, and a lot more talking to the Lord about you." And God was able by His praying, by His seeking God, God was able to take His Holy Spirit and go sweeping around in the life of Jimbo Seton, sweeping and sweeping, stirring stuff up, turning things upside down. And the next thing you know, Jimbo's is sweeping his eyes out, coming to Jesus in saving faith. Listen, in your family, God can do more by His Spirit in places you can't get to, in places you can't reach personally. His Holy Spirit can do that. He can go into those places. Has the Holy Spirit been doing that in your life? Stirring things up? Pointing you to Jesus? Bringing the light of God's Word to bear in your life? The Holy Spirit knows how to send Storms into the life of a lost person to get that individual's undivided attention. The Holy Spirit can be doing the instigating work in someone's life. Pointing people to Jesus. That's what He can do. The missing silver. The meaningful search. Finally, the marvelous celebration. The marvelous celebration. The outline on the thing is right. Not (laughs) my I didn't change my, I went back and I told you I'd do this. I didn't put it didn't change it here. That, that one's right. Meticulous, the meaningful, the meticulous, the marvelous celebration. Look at verse number number nine. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. This story is so sweetly simple. She lost the coin. My how her heart raced as she As the broom uncovered, can you imagine she's sweeping and all of a sudden she sees a glint of silver in the light of the doorway or from the light of the candle and she reaches down, look, there it is, there's my coin. Can you imagine how her heart raced as she saw it? How she picked it up and she held it close. (laughs) She wiped all the filth off of it and she cupped it in her hands and she held it close to her heart. But she found it. I could see the relief come over her body. Oh, I found it. I found it. I won't uh, won't have the side-eyed looks from the ladies when they next see me. I won't have lost such great value. I found the coin. This is the reflection of the marvelous celebration that awaits the sinner's repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, the joy, the inexpressible joy of one lost sinner that is found. Notice there was rejoicing in the home. It said that when she found it, she calleth her friends and neighbors. The, the word construction here indicates that of the feminine term. She's, she called all her lady friends. You know, when the guy brought back the sheep you know, around his shoulders, I can see him. He calls all the men to come celebrate him with the neighbors. You know, Hey, look, I found my sheep. And all the guys give them high fives, and they chest bump each other, and they, they, got, their, uh, they got their sheep back, you know, all farmers. Woo, y'all are, yeah. Women celebrate different, don't they? She called all of her lady friends, and uh, I, I could say, hey, look, I found my. She probably told him over the fence line, I can't find my coin anywhere. I'm going to go back in the house and look for it. And they would say, we're praying you find that. All of a sudden, she runs through the yard. I found my coin. And what do ladies do? Oh, you know. <laughs> they, they don't high-five. They don't bump chest or whatever. Oh, yay! You know, they, they squeal with delight. They're so happy. Uh, that they, that for this lady that found, this wife that found her coin. Maybe they lock arms and they jump up and down like ladies do sometimes when they're really happy. Read the story about an 85-year-old woman named Gloria Dement. In December of 2011, she was, went on a shopping trip from the, uh, the assisted living place that she lived. And when she got back, she discovered that her 1.5 carat diamond was missing from her wedding ring. She contacted several stores she had visited. No one had seen it. No one had turned something in like that In It wasn't for several weeks later that a shopper making his way to the car saw a glint of brightness come from the mud right at the door. He reached down and picked it up, cleaned off the stone, and it was clear. And it looked like it was cut. It looked like a diamond. The man looked up and kind of looked around and saw that the Leo Hamill jewelry store was right close by. So he took the diamond in there and said, I found this in the parking lot. Is this a diamond? And they put it underneath there, they look a close. Sure enough, to beautifully cut diamond, one point five carat diamonds. <laughs> the, lady, the lady, at the desk, confirmed that it was a diamond. Excess of value, about ten thousand dollars, probably more today. She promised to check into it. Harry Chaplin remembered the call from the woman two months earlier that he lost the diamond. He contacted, and to the surprise and delight of Dement, at her at her Escondido uh, retirement home. They had found the diamond. And they she brought back the empty, the empty ring and they placed the diamond in there and put it right back into the place where it had been lost. Mrs. Mrs. DeMint said this: Words cannot express or describe how touching, how unreal, how miraculous it all seems. That's just a diamond. Think about a soul to God, an eternal child of God, discovered and brought into His fold and safety in His clutches within His hand. What a worth, what a value to God. And we, like that diamond, are to beautify the life of God. Listen to Philippians 2, one twenty-seven. Let your conversation or your manner of life be as it becometh or beautifies The gospel of Christ. Titus 2.10 That they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Our, Our duty as believers is to adorn the gospel. To beautify what Jesus Christ has done. The rejoicing at home. The rejoicing in heaven. Look at verse number 10. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner their repentance now what i tell you last week you're not sheep and jesus is not an earthly shepherd the one that goes out and looks for sheep with a hook what is jesus talking about sinners coming to repentance and faith in jesus same's true with this week you're not a piece of silver you're not an inanimate object you know you you're not lost in real dirt And the Holy Spirit is not like a jeweler looking for something valuable in someone's home. No, this is a story. This is a parable about lost sinners and coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Have you listen? Have you ever seen young? I I, I liken it to this. He's talking about the joy in heaven. I remember several years ago. I can't remember the couple or whoever. We said a larger church. It was on a Sunday night, and one of the one of the Singles came in, and she went up to all her friends. You know, all the friends that kind of sit together at church. And she went up to her friends, and she went, "Oh, you know, you know, you know." That. Look, when you see that at church, you know what's happened. Somebody's got engaged, and she's like, "Oh, look at that!" All of that whole section just become a cheering, say almost like a wave when hands went up. Everybody, ah. And they clapped. Oh, let me see the ring. Let me see its beauty. Their screams are jumping around. They're hugging each other. Tears are falling. Jesus says, likewise. Like those ladies that celebrated, you can imagine celebrated with that woman who found her precious coin. Likewise, the angels in heaven celebrate over one lost sinner that is brought to faith in Jesus Christ. One lost sinner being saved makes makes fruit basket turnover in heaven. They're shouting down the roads of glory as a sinner walks the aisle or puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The joy over one sinner saved. And notice the verse ends in the in the presence of the angels. Notice what it says. Notice the reading. Likewise, I'm saying to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God. Now, pay attention. It's not the angels necessarily rejoicing. It is rejoicing that is taking place in the presence of the angels. What does that mean? I don't, could it be that God the Father is the one that is rejoicing? I found, my, I found my lost silver. I found my lost sheep. I found my lost son. It is joy, the joy of God in the presence of the angels over one sinner that is saved God himself emphatically rejoices over one lost sinner that has come to faith in him the missing silver excuse me the meaningful silver the the intense search and the marvelous celebration now close I'm almost done I didn't intend to be this long I want to preach short messages you guys are so easy to preach or or you just I, I appreciate it. Years ago, I used to watch a television program, short-lived, only had like one or two seasons. It's called The Finder. You remember that show? I think come on Fox years ago, called The Finder. This guy had the knack of finding anything anybody lost, no matter how small. Matter of fact, one of the episodes, one of my favorite, was about a murder that happened near a swamp and they could never find the bullet, and so a wrongful man was put into prison because they could never find the bullet and match it with somebody else's revolver. This man, the finder, somehow went into this swamp. I know it's TV. It's TV. Went into this swamp and found a bullet buried in a tree a good solid inch and exonerated this man. This is the finder. Man, it's just a great show. He finds little things like that. And he tells his clients this. He said, I'll find it or I'll die trying. Listen, some 2,000 years ago, Jesus came and died. He already died to find every lost sinner that the Father hath given unto Him. Jesus will claim His own. The Holy Spirit will find that lost sinner and we are a part of that. You and I, all of us are a part of this grand commission to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to have the Holy Spirit use us to bring lost sinners unto Jesus Christ. He can find lost sinners. If you're here today, you don't know the Lord Jesus, I pray the Holy Spirit of God has been sweeping in your life all through this message, disturbing things. Tearing things up. I pray that the light of His Word has been shining on your heart. If you're here today and you're lost, you don't know the Lord Jesus, I pray he is, he is shining the light and pointing to Jesus, the door, the way, the truth, and the life. And calling you unto Himself. Church of God, it is up to us to be the hands and feet of Jesus. To be enabled by the Spirit of God. Used, to be used by the Spirit of God. To take the light of God's Word. And to go into the shadowy places in this life, in this world, and shine the light of Jesus and point them to the door. The door of the gospel. That's what this Santa train, I'm hoping and praying this Santa train, God uses it to bring people from all around this community right to these doors, right to this parking lot out there so that we might share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. Oh, listen. Let us be about the Father's business. Let this this parable challenge us with its seriousness, its motivation, its urgency. The value of lost sinners. God, help us. Help us to change our value perspective on those that do not know the Lord. See them less as political enemies and more like lost silver that God desperately longs to find. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed, and every eye closed. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love You. God, take this parable and use it in our hearts that have become so pharisaical in the way that we... I'm talking about me, God. How pharisaical I have become toward that which you value, you desperate to find, you long for. God, change my perspective to make me have a heart like yours. God, I pray for the lost. Those around this community and even in our families, Father, that are so far away. God, You can reach into places that we never can go by the light of Your Spirit, by the Spirit of God, by the light of the Word of God, by the shining of the Gospel. You can reach into people's lives and stir things up, making things uncomfortable, but God, uncover their need of a Savior. God, let us see souls saved in this place. God, rekindle a fire to see people saved. In my own heart, in the heart of these that are listening to me this morning, God will give you glory for what you do. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Page number 81, if you need a hymn book, Just As I Am, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus as Savior, come, come. Let the Holy Spirit show you the light of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You come. Go ahead, brother.